0: We've covered so far in Ephesians chapter 5, those first couple verses that talk about the fact that we are beloved children of the Father. And honestly, that is the crux of living the Christian life. Because chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, if you remember, are all about what does it look like to be a Christian in real time in the real world? And the main power behind that is the fact that we are beloved children. And that because we're beloved children of the Father in heaven, we are meant to imitate Him. And so basically everything that Paul is describing in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 is how do we imitate our Father? How do we imitate the Lord? So now let's look down at verse 15. The Christian life lived in the real world in real time. And we'll start, we'll read all the way down to verse 21. It's Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with wine with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love this passage, and it is a, fantastic contrast. A few weeks ago, at the end of chapter 4, which we were studying at the time, Paul talked about something called the anger volcano. Do you guys remember that? The anger volcano. And basically that is when selfishness is at work in your life and it is given full reign What begins to happen when selfishness is all stirred up in your heart and it's driving force in your life, it becomes like a volcano because you're going to look around at the people around you and you're going to say, God, why don't I have that? Why haven't you given me that? Why did you take that away? What's wrong? Why do I have that loss in my life? Why have you not given me this? And you look and you compare and you say, I've been wronged and I'm bitter. Also, you look at your own life and you say, wow, I fall short of pretty much everything I've ever wanted. (laughs) I have not measured up in any way, even for myself. And so the bitterness creeps in. And we talked about how once that bitterness... That selfish bitterness takes root deep down in the heart. Paul says it becomes anger and that anger gets expulsive and it builds and we get resentment and then finally it explodes out of our mouth and it ruins the relationships in our lives and it destroys ourselves and it hurts the people around us and it's just overall bad. That's what Paul talked about a few weeks ago. The anger volcano. Well, This is, in my opinion, the exact opposite of that. This is the antidote to the anger volcano that builds within and is expulsively injuring and harming the people around us. We're going to see today that the filling of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a refreshment that builds within us. Admittedly, in the little email that came out this week, I used the comparison with a water balloon. Right now, admittedly, some of you have been hurt by water balloons, but we're not talking about that part. We're talking about the part when a water balloon hits you in the middle of the summer and it's just pure refreshment, right? It's like, oh, it's a, it's, a, it has a cooling effect. It splashes all over and you're just like, yes, thank you. I have relief from the heat and the pain that was a part of my life just moments ago. And that's a little bit like what happens when the Holy Spirit fills us. Instead of damaging and injuring and hurting all the people around us through anger, the opposite occurs. We bless and we comfort and we soothe and we bring life and refreshment to all the people in our life. That's what it's like to be filled not with bitterness, but with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk talk today about what that looks like uh, in the real world because Paul explains it to us. Here is what it looks like in the real world to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He basically puts it in three ways, and you can use your notes if you want. They're right there on that insert in your bulletin. There's basically three things. Look, understand, and be filled. It's rather simple, but there's a lot of depth to it also. The first thing is to look at your life. The second is to understand the will of God. And the third is to be filled with the Spirit. This isn't what Nathan says. This is what God says through His Word. So let's look. That's the first thing. Look, Paul says, examine your life. He says the true Christian life, the one that has lived before the face of God, the one that is lived in imitation of God himself, is a life that is well examined. It's not just random event to random event. Sometimes I know you feel like that because I feel like that too. Do You sometimes feel like your life is just like one reactive thing to the next reactive thing. Like, oh, it just keeps coming at me. And I'm like, ah, I reacted poorly to that. No, I should have done this differently. And oh, no, if I reflect, you know. It sometimes feels like that. But Paul says, no, I want you to stop, Christian. And this goes for all of us, too. This goes for me, too. You've got to stop sometimes. And you actually have to think. You have to reflect. Spend a little time alone. Don't immediately pull out your phone. Don't immediately turn on YouTube. Don't immediately go to your favorite little hobby reflect a little on your life. Here's a good question. How's that working out for you? (laughs) Really? Ask yourself that this week. How's that working out for you? The way you're living your life currently. Paul says, I've got a way for you that's really helpful. And he says, the first thing he says to us is he says, I want you to reflect and I want you to see, are you living as unwise or are you living as wise? And... As you might imagine, Paul falls into a long, scriptural, biblical tradition of wisdom. There's, a, there's an entire section of the Old Testament that is about wisdom. How do we get wisdom? What does wisdom look like? I wrote down some things for us very quickly this morning so we could dive in. Um, wisdom, according to the Bible, is the capacity of the mind that allows us to understand life from God's perspective. That's the sort of basic definition of wisdom. Throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon encourages us to get wisdom. He says that in chapter 4. He says that those that get wisdom love life. That's chapter 19. Um, also, Solomon says it's better to get wisdom than gold. Let's call spade spade. None of us actually believe that. But he says it, and it's true. It's better to get wisdom than gold. That's chapter 16. And he says that those that get wisdom, Psalm says those that get wisdom find life and receive favor from the Lord. So it's a really good thing to have, bottom line. So here's my pro tips for today. Life hacks. Some of you younger folks in here like to call it life hacks. Here you go. You ready? Three of them. Number one, according to the Bible, if you want some wisdom, you're going to self-reflect. Do I have wisdom or do I have un, am I unwise? Do you fear God? That's what Proverbs, that's what the Bible says is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Solomon says um, that in Proverbs chapter 9. But the question is, how do we fear God? And the distinction, I think, that is most helpful for us is between filial fear and servile fear. You may have never heard those terms before. I'll explain them. Filial fear is the fear and the respect and the love that a child has for a parent. Remember how Paul started chapter 5 of Ephesians? Anyone? As beloved children? That's the kind of fear that we're supposed to have for God. That, that respect and the love that we, we have for a parent. Now, obviously, we're talking about the perfect parent. Okay, We're not talking about abusive parents right now in this context. Servile fear is the fear that someone has uh, for their executioner or their jailer. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a fear that is unhelpful <laughs> for living life. But what, Paul is, what the Bible is saying is that when we have failure fear, when we truly respect the Lord, when we respect what He says, we're going to actually begin to obey. We want to have a fear of the Lord if we really want wisdom. Secondly, life hack number two, first one, fear the Lord. Number two, desire wisdom. Another way to put this, stay hungry, my friend. Stay hungry, my friend. Um, The second step to getting wisdom is to desire it with all your heart. Solomon says, we must look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. That's uh, Proverbs chapter 2. Point being, when it comes to wisdom, you're never going to be perfectly wise. There isn't one day in your life where you're going to be like, okay, check, got it. I'm wise now, let's move on to the next thing. The reality is that we constantly, until the day we die, we are going to need to keep getting wisdom. We're going to need to keep pursuing the things of God, keep studying His Word, keep learning what He wants for our life, keep listening to Him, keep reading about Him. That is what wisdom is like in our life. God has set it up to where it's basically like food that we take into our body. Right? There is isn't Until the day you die on this earth, you have to have food and water going into your body. It's a requirement. The same is true for wisdom. It, the, the Proverbs and the Psalms talk about wisdom in that way. It's like, it's like honey. It's like food. It's like milk. Come, says the Lord, and, and buy as though, as though you have no money. It's something we've got to keep going after constantly. Are you pursuing wisdom? Do you really seek after it as like gold or silver? Good thing to ask your question. Good way to reflect this morning. The final life hack for those that the third one is to pray for wisdom. Okay, this one's directly from James chapter 1, and he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Okay, so thank you, Lord. (laughs) So we can actually just ask the Lord for wisdom, and we can get wisdom in that way. Um, There's more, of course, but I want to basically summarize all of the wisdom literature in the Bible um, with sort of one particular phrase. Here we go. You ready? (laughs) Ha ha! I'm sure there's way more ways to summarize it, but I'm going to throw one out for us this morning. No pain, no gain. There you go. That's life hack number four. That does helpfully, I think, summarize much of what the Scripture teaches about what is a wise life and what is an unwise life. No pain, no gain. Here's what I mean. The fool is how Proverbs describes the person that lives life forgetting God constantly. That's what the fool is. The fool isn't just a stupid person. It's not just somebody that is like bumbling around through life. That's not at all what the fool is when it comes to the Scriptures. The fool is someone who consistently and deliberately forgets God when they make their decisions in their life, even when they wake up in the morning. That's what a fool is. And here's what a fool says in his heart according to the Scriptures. I want short-term gain. I don't care about the long-term pain. And here's what a wise person, according to the scriptures, says. I am willing to accept and receive and live in short-term pain because I know there is some long-term gain. There you go. Reflect on your life. Which maxim do you live by? Do you live by, I don't care, I just want, I want what I want, I want it now, I'm just not going to worry about what the future will bring or what it's going to do to my relationships or what it's going to do to my body or what it's going to do to, I'll get to that, you know, when I'm 80 or whatever. Again, that's the fool, according to the scriptures. The wise one says, I will sacrifice. I will do the hard thing now because I know that one day there is going to be fruit on this tree. That's, what, that's how the Bible puts it, right? We're like trees that are planted by the stream. And you don't know what kind of a tree you are until it's time for the season where the fruit begins to drop off of the branches, right? It takes time. It takes time for us to really see or know that we have chosen the wise path in life. And it is by the fruit. Look at the fruit in your own life and in the lives of the people around you. What is it? What is showing for the choices and the decisions you've made in your life? wise. But Paul says, Paul says right here, look at your life. Examine and reflect. The second thing he says is understand. This is point two. Understand what the will of God is. That's not also that complicated. He's basically saying, don't be a fool. Spend your time remembering God. Remember God. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, remember God. When you make the big decisions in your life, remember God. We are meant to be a remembering people. This, is, this table that we do here, do this in remembrance of me. He gave us a memory for a reason. It's so that we can reflect upon who He is, what He's done for us, and how that impacts our life. We must go also to His Word. That is ultimately how we truly understand what the will of God is. We go to his word and we find out what he says. This is what to do. This is how to do it. That's what we're doing this morning as we're here worshiping the Lord. We remember and we reflect upon his word. That was a short point. You're welcome. This last one's not, though. Be filled. He says, look. Look at your life. Don't be unwise, live as wise. He says redeem the time. You know, your time is short and it's precious on this earth. Use it in a in a wise way, says Paul. He says understand what the will of the Lord is and and remember, if you are already living as wise, you already have a fear of the Lord. You care what he says. So that's what he he means when he says understand the will of the Lord. You care what God says about any given issue, any given topic. You want to find it in the Scriptures. You want to keep learning about what the Lord would teach about how to live my life. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Finally, and most importantly, I would say, be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the key. This is the power to living the wise life. And... Helpfully, Paul uses a comparison and a contrast with something that we call the strong drink, also known as alcohol. And it's not because Paul is opposed to alcohol in general. That is not why he's using it as an illustration, okay? So let's just get that one off the table. It simply serves as a really great illustration for his point. There is a way that being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk, And there is a way that being filled with the Spirit is not at all like being drunk. Let's talk about it. Okay. Most of us understand what it means to be drunk. Maybe if you're little, you probably haven't thankfully experienced that yet. Thank the Lord. But um, you'll just have to try to figure it out on your own as we go through the scriptures here. So, here is how being drunk and being filled with the Spirit are the same. We, as human beings, get drunk with the strong drink so that we can help cope with the fear and the shame of life. Okay? That that's why people that's why people drink a lot to get drunk. They're fearful. They're fearful and for a moment being drunk really does remove some of the fear. It can often be let's let's call a space pain a pretty great experience. I know lots of people find there are many who get really angry when they get drunk, okay? But let me just talk for a moment about, there's lots of people who, when they start to get tipsy, buzzed, drunk, it's like, hey, that's great. <laughs> this is awesome. Like, you know, you're my next door neighbor, but tonight you're my best friend. Like, this is great. I'm not so fearful anymore. Some people call alcohol the social lubricant right? Am I right? A Social lubricant. So there is a sense in which alcohol, getting drunk or getting buzzed with alcohol does bring the sense of joy. It does bring this sense of courage. It's also called liquid courage. And when alcohol beats back our fear, there's a joy that often moves in. And let me, let me just put it this way. Alcohol is a solution for dealing with life. Not something you'd expect your pastor to say on a Sunday morning. <laughs> now, I'll, let me add to that. I also think it's a pretty terrible solution to dealing with life. Okay, so that's the caveat that goes along with that. And that's what Paul is saying here. Here's why alcohol fails at really dealing with the fear and the shame that we all feel. And that momentary joy. Alcohol, as we all know from the doctors, is a depressant. That means it's a certain type of drug, and what it does is it depresses certain parts of your brain. Okay, it's like oh, it's going to shut that down. Why do you talk like this? It's shutting out reality, so that you're able to have a little bit of joy. So that fear, that shame that you're always living with is gone for a few moments, and it shuts it down. Here's the problem: when you sober up. Or you wake up the next morning, boom! All the fear and the shame is back, and it's back with a vengeance. Alcohol did not do its job well. Because not only now, when you wake up the next morning, not only now is that fear and that shame reality's back open, just as full as it ever was, the depression uh, state is gone, but also now you have the fear and the shame that comes along with the fact that you were drunk last night, you're not sure what you said, you're not, who sh- you're not sure who you texted, it's worse It's a terrible solution to dealing with life. Epic fail. That's for you guys in the back. It's an epic fail. But, Paul says, in a similar way, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a way to get joy and courage. Things are very different when being filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit is not a depressant. The Spirit, according to the Scriptures, if you've ever experienced the Spirit, is a stimulant. Not in the way of a drug, but in the way of only God can work within a person's lives. Here's the key. Instead of reality being depressed and closed in, and we're like, you know what, I can be happy because I just forgot about all that junk in my life for a few moments. Instead, God says, watch, 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 by the Holy Spirit. Boom! I'm going to give you an even bigger picture of reality. And those little problems you thought you had, guess what? Oh, the heavenly angels are out. The burning bush sees Moses, right? The transfiguration. The disciples saw Jesus glowing and they were like, oh, there's a greater reality than the one that we're experiencing right now. There's something bigger than me. God has a plan that's much faster and larger and more glorious than I had ever imagined before. He gives a peek to some people in the Bible, and you may have had it in your own life. He gives a peek. He pulls back the veil. Even for just a moment until we can see that God is at work. God is in love with His people. And God is going to bring it all to completion for His glory. See, it's a fuller picture of reality. It's a stimulant. And that's how our fear is conquered. That's how we get joy and courage. It's not because for a little bit we've shut out reality. It's because we've seen that there's a greater reality behind the reality that we're all experiencing on a daily basis. Oh, no. <laughs> I need those. Y'all, how awesome. We God has given us a real solution to dealing with the fear and the shame of life. How sweet. We don't have to use alcohol to get through this life. That is a glorious thing. And y'all, replace, if you need to, you may not like alcohol at all. You might not like beer or wine or whatever, but you might also have a drug of choice. Think about your drug of choice. What's the thing you go to quickly and without thinking to deal with the fear in your life or the shame in your life? That can be your alcohol also. Don't forget about that. What's that drug you're looking for? That Again, it's the thing you're using to depress reality rather than see the, the greater reality behind the reality you're living. The Holy Spirit is what you want to do. Trust, trust me on this. The Holy, being filled with the Holy Spirit is what you want. Because here's why. Here's how being drunk and being filled with the Spirit are very different. They're very different and it has to do with control. Control and the fruit that is produced by that control. When you get drunk, you are essentially giving over control to this substance, this liquid. And you're saying, okay, now I am going to do some things that I probably would never have done because I've given over myself to the liquid. The end result, the fruit of it. Here's what scriptures say. Well, Paul says, debauchery. Right there scene verse 18, debauchery that, that sounds like a really like strong word. It's, in the Greek, it's a sotia, a sotia means recklessness, it means living recklessly, it means wasting, it means senseless deeds. it means here's okay, let me break all that down. It means actions taken in your life without any thought for the consequences. <laughs> And if anybody has been around someone who's drunk or been drunk themselves, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Alcohol removes inhibitions. And the scary thing is that what is often left is pure, unadulterated selfishness. And the Bible calls it something akin to an animal instinct. The lusts take over, the inhibitions are gone, and there is no thought for God or for the consequences of the action being taken. In fact, in Luke 15, the prodigal son, it says, went off to a far country where he wasted his money by living sotia, by living recklessly. Drunkenness is a revealer of what is really in the heart, and there's a lot of darkness down there. So, there's good news. Paul says, don't do it. Be filled with the Spirit instead. This is a much better choice. He says, okay, don't do that. Be filled with the Spirit. And basically what you're saying is, okay, I'm going to give over control to God. I looked this up this week, and I think it's really helpful because there's an organization called AA that deals with alcohol. How How do you begin to deal with alcohol? You know what? The prayer for step three is, you ready for this? This is really important. Here's the prayer God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. That's a pretty great prayer. Because what A gets and what Paul is getting at here is that you actually, like you would give yourself over to alcohol, you give yourself over to God. You give yourself to the Spirit. You you let God begin to have control. What if you prayed that every morning? What if you prayed that every hour of every day of your life? Lord, may I do your will. Not what I wanted for this afternoon. Not what I want for this moment. Not what I want for my family, my friends. Not for that control that I'm constantly grasping for to make my life into something I'm happy about. But whoa, whoa, I'm going to release the reins and I'm going to let you have control of my life. Y'all, the Bible says the fruit of that is awesome. That's why it's encouraging us to do precisely that. Here is the fruit, as Paul describes it in the Bible, of us giving ourselves to the Lord to be used in the way that He wants to use us. He says, you're going to find there's a lot of singing. (laughs) You're just going to spontaneously break out into song, says Paul, says God. You're going to give thanks a lot, like absolute constant thankfulness. And finally, you're going to submit to one another. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit filling someone and having moved in their life. I know many of you have experienced or seen on TV people who claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's, they're, you know, they're writhing up front and they're throwing themselves on the ground and they're rolling down the aisle and they're barking like dogs and laughing in the Spirit. Fine. Fine. That's fine. But it's not what Paul says being filled with the Spirit is. I'm literally just going with what Paul says. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, spontaneous song. He says, look, when you're filled with the Spirit, unlike alcohol, your mind is fully engaged. That's a hymn. A hymn is an instruction. That's a way to look at... a, a, A hymn is singing with instruction included. Here's who God is. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what God has done in your life. Here's what Jesus has done for you. Let's sing about it. Amen. We do it all the time here. Then you've got spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are somebody writes them up. Boom, in the Spirit. It's going to bring you closer to God. Amen. Then you've got Psalms. Psalms are Psalms. Right? Look them up. They're in the middle of the Bible. <laughs> psalms are Psalms. But his point is that as grace really takes root in the heart of a human being, when you really begin to get it, that you know what? <laughs> I don't deserve anything I've been given. I don't deserve to be saved, but God, by His sheer grace, has found me, has pursued me, and has forgiven me of all of my sin. When that begins to get down into the center of our being and it begins to drive our life and we've given our will over to God, He says, you're just going to go sing, sing, boo! That's awesome, that's awesome, and you're going to break into song, something along those lines. You can't (laughs) help it. Y'all, it's just like the anger volcano, but the opposite. It's just like the anger volcano, but the opposite, right? Eventually, bitterness builds up within you, and the pressure gets so great, and you just start spewing on the people around you, and you ruin their lives, and you say things you regret, and you have to go back and apologize to thousands of different people. But he says the same thing happens when the Spirit gets inside of you, and the grace of Jesus Christ is illumined by the Holy Spirit. But it's really good. It's like water. It's, you're spraying the people around. You're refreshing them. You're loving on them. And let's go, let's, you're going to give thanks. A, spiritful, a Spirit-filled person sees absolutely everything as a gift. Think about that. Absolutely everything, including our own lives. Here's what a person who's filled with the Spirit can say. There is nothing that I cannot give away. There's nothing. Whoa! Now that is a reality behind the reality. Because most of you, because you're like me, and this is true for me, so I I think it applies also to y'all. I spend many of, most of my days thinking, what can I get? What can I get? Okay, I need to buy this more and I need to get something for myself and I can't believe they cut me off in traffic. I can't believe they took that away from me and oh, how dare they talk to my ego like that and oh, I just want to get a little bit further up in the line and I want to get a little bit further up in my career and I want to, me, 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 me. And he's like, no, 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 fill with the Spirit, give. There is nothing, nothing that I cannot give away including my own life for those around me. And that's why he segues into this final point, and it's the final point for our sermon today also. Jesus was in the Spirit, it says in Luke chapter 10. He was filled with the Spirit. And, it, and he says, it says, just like Paul's talking here, it says he was thankful. And he says, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is filled with the Spirit. What does he thank the Father for in that passage? He says, that you, God, have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have revealed them to children. Okay, what? That's the thing he's most thankful for, is he's filled with the Spirit in chapter 10 of Luke? Yep. Because that is God's economy. He is thanking the Father for His economy. And here's what God's economy is. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. This is hard. Without being filled with the Spirit, it really doesn't happen very often. Paul says, examine your life at the beginning of this passage. I ask us to do the same thing. I've been trying to do this myself. Are you able to submit to the other believers around you? Are you able to submit to the others in this community? Are you able to submit to those in your own home? Paul, y'all, this is real, real important for us to get today because we're about to enter into a controversial section of the Bible. Next week, it's going to talk about submission to one another. Okay, No one likes to talk about it. We all get uncomfortable because it's like, oh, am I not going to just become a wet rag if I start submitting to the people around me or submitting to my husband or submitting to my wife or submitting to my you know, people in the church? And God's like, yep. yeah you are yeah I mean I, I, I just wanted to say that because I feel like every time I've ever heard a sermon on this it's like well no you don't need to become like a wet rag you, you, you still have your dignity and you still have your pride and full tact uh, no no not not in God's economy I mean where did Jesus go he goes to the prostitutes he goes to the to, to, the, to the drunks in the town And basically Jesus took the disciples into those areas and he said, look, he's like, people get it. He's like, you need to hang out. This is why I encourage everyone. I go and teach in the the jail on Tuesday nights. I encourage you, hang out at the jail sometimes. No joke. Go visit some prisoners that don't have anyone to visit them. Go. It's not because you're going to come in and you're like, oh, I've kind of got my life together. Yeah, and I've got my, you know, family I'm bringing in and look at my car that I pulled up in a visitor space at the jail. Yeah, I can come in and talk to you person in the jail and be like, yeah, here's some ways you can get your life together when you get out of here and live like me. Nope. That's not, I really don't think that's at all what Paul is saying by us visiting the jail or visiting a nursing home or visiting the people living on the street or visiting the addict or whatever it might be. That's not. He's saying, no, you need to visit them because you need to see that's you. That's my economy. My economy is for people who get it. And generally speaking, at least in the scriptures, and we see this in true life worked out, those who get grace most deeply, most fully, and get most filled by the Spirit are those that know in their hearts they are not better than others. Here's what submitting to one another looks like in real life, y'all. They... I I have no way to tell you how to do this. I'm just going to read it. Because I'm not good at it. Your needs trump my needs. Your wants trump my wants. Your worth is higher than my worth. You deserve more than me. You're better than me. Can you say those things to those sitting around you? Can you say those to the other people in your family? The one maybe that you even love most in this world? God said, as beloved children, imitate me. And we know from the table we're about to go to in just a moment. Um, the kind of sacrifice, the kind of love that the Father has for us. Will people take advantage of this? Yeah. You better believe it. But y'all being filled with the Spirit, I'm telling you, is the best way to deal with the fear and the shame in your life. Let's pray. Lord I I don't even begin to know how to explain to live like Jesus. But I just know that You have called us to live like Jesus and that You empower us to live like Jesus. Christ, You are, you are, the, you, you are the ultimate sacrifice. You are the one who went lower than all for us to bring us up. You were humiliated that we might be exalted. You had the Father turn His face away from You, Jesus, so that we could look into Your face, Lord God. I pray that the grace of the Gospel that we have been given the riches that we don't deserve, I pray that that would work its way down into the absolute center, the heart of all of us in here today. And we, oh goodness gracious, we need your spirit to do that. So we pray that you would do that work in a mighty way this very day. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.